0: The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. We're going to read our scripture today, which is found in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses, we're going to start in 13, verses 13 through 20. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for another opportunity to breathe the air that you've given us, another opportunity to respond and to glorify the God of the gospel. Father, we exist and move and have our being because you wanted us to. All purpose is found in you, and you've declared that to us through your word. I pray that we would be diligent today in studying your word. I pray that you would quicken our mind and you'd quicken our hearts, that you would capture our attention through your word. And I pray that you would bring us from death to life today, that you would do works that only you can do. You would move the soul like only you can do. In this room, I ask that you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back that you can follow along with us. We really want you to follow along. I don't want you to get in the habit of sitting there and consuming, sitting there and just listening to the preacher tell me what's going on. I want you to get in the habit of following along in the scripture. All of my points, did you hear me what I just said? All of my points will be coming from the text. I'm not going to preach, say one little scripture, and then just give you my opinions for an hour. All right? There's a lot of that going on in our culture today. There's a lot of that going on in the church today. I'm just going to say a little scripture, then I'm going to give you my opinion on what everything says. And then you walk away with my opinion, and my opinion doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't, you can't stand on my opinion. Can't stand on yours as well. We can stand on the word of God. So I want you to get in the habit of seeing... Oh, that's where he gets that point from. Oh, that's where he, how he pulled that out. That's how he got it. Everything is coming from a text, from this, this one text right here. So we're going to be um, in 13 through 20 basically today. Last week we took a look at verses 10 through 13 where Paul tells us that our life is not meant to be all sunshine and smiles. We're in a war... We have an enemy who hates us and who desires nothing more than to steal our joy, to kill our spiritual desires, and to destroy, ultimately to destroy our lives in hell that was created for him and his henchmen. That's what he wants to do with us. Paul says that the devil is his name and that he is a schemer. He's tricky. There's no pitchfork and pointy tail. He knows our weaknesses and he attacks us when we least expect it satan does far more harm when he's wearing a sheepskin and masquerading as an angel of light he doesn't need to present himself in all of his ugliness and all of his wickedness when he does far more harm acting like a sheep getting into the body of christ and creating all kind of havoc that's how he gets past our defenses and before we know it we're in a hand to hand combat a wrestling match with sin We wake up and his hands are around our throat. He doesn't announce himself and walk in where we can prepare ourselves. All of a sudden, he's behind our defenses and his hands are around our throat. And he's not alone either. In verse 12, Paul says that there are also demon rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers that are fighting against us. Now, this is getting a little trippy. This means that the other angels that fell that were kicked out with Lucifer at the fall have created some kind of regimented army to combat the rule and reign of God. Paul calls them the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is why there's bloodshed. This is why there's massacres. This is why there's racism. This is why there's bigotry. This is why there's hatred. This is why there's malice. This is why there's evil present in our world. It's because evil is present in the prince of darkness, in Satan, in the devil, and in his rulers and his demons. This is why there's evil in our world. This is why we lock our doors at night because we know that there's evil out there. We talked a lot about that last week. It was funny. I I quoted a lot last week. I just, I had like six different books and movies and everything else. I got home and I was like, what? Anytime you quote Silence of the Lambs and, you know, C.S. Lewis in the same sermon, it's gotta be good, right? In verse 13 now, Paul tells us this. He says, to pick up, the armor of God. When the, listen to this. When the day of evil comes. Everybody say when. I love it. It's not if evil should come. It's when. Many Christians are confused by this, especially in our culture today. If I love Jesus and walk with Jesus, then I won't have any hard days. No. Paul says, when the days of evil come, evil days come, evil opportunities come, opposition come, struggles come, difficulties come, trials come. Why? It's war. And some days in war are quiet and some days in war are incessant shelling, mortars dropping nonstop. That's the evil day. And when they come, Jesus promises that they will come. You and I, we're not going to walk through this world unscathed and unopposed by our enemy. There's a heretical theology out there that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will walk in ultimate victory all through life and nothing will ever get you. You will be destined to reign. You will have your best life now. It's absolute heresy. The guys who wrote the scriptures ended with their heads cut off, crucified upside down, in prison, they what, what, what are you going to do with that? The guys who wrote it, we are in a war. We are in a battle, and we can expect to be opposed like Jesus was opposed. We can expect to be you know, attacked like his apostles were attacked. You and I need to know, we need to realize this this morning, that there will be times when loving our our spouse, it's, it's Mother's Day, right? But there will be times when loving our spouse is harder than it has ever been before. It's a dark and evil day. There will be times when resisting temptation will be more difficult than ever before. It's a hard and difficult and evil day. Being a Christian does not prevent you from these things. Listen, being a Christian actually puts you on the front lines of the battle. We should expect more opposition as Christians. If someone's already in the enemy's camp, why should they expect the enemy to oppose them? Right? People will hurt you. There will come a day when you don't want to forgive someone for something they did to you. That's a dark and evil day. We need to prepare ourselves for those days. We need to expect those days so that when the enemy attacks us and the enemy comes against us in those evil days, we're not going to be caught behind enemy lines with our pants down, unaware. There will come a day when you don't feel like reading your Bible You don't feel like gathering with your church family, and you don't feel like being on mission with your missional community. Why? Because we're in a war, and our enemy doesn't want to lose any more ground than he already has. He doesn't want the Quad Cities renewed for the glory of God. He doesn't. He wants. He wants darkness. He wants oppression. He wants individualistic, private religion that hides behind closed doors. He doesn't want a city full of Christians on mission to glorify God in their everyday life. The enemy will oppose that. He will keep us caught up in our little private religion. He'll keep us behind closed doors. Just don't really share anything with your neighbor. Don't really bring it out into the workplace. Don't let your faith, you know, it's just a private thing. It's where the enemy wants us. And Paul now says, when the days of evil come, when these evil days come, what should we do? Right here in their text, he tells us over and over to stand. Now, listen, just to to throw that out there we're called to stand against the enemy. Some people we talked to, C.S. Lewis has a great quote um, that there's two opposing errors when talking about the devil and talking about demons. Number one, you can deny their existence, right? And the other thing you can do is just get overly caught up in them. And he says the devil likes both. He hails the materialist and the magician in the same light. He gets us on either opposing errors. And one thing that that we can be caught up in and you hear, you, there's books about it and you hear about it, are these people who get caught up in demons and caught up in the devil and they want, they think that we're called to go after him and, 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 and go you know, go on the attack against Satan. And that's what he's telling us to do. Almost every piece of equipment he gives us to fight against the enemy is defensive. He calls us to stand. He doesn't say go after the devil. There's a couple guys in the New Testament, the book of Acts that did go after the devil and it turned out really bad for them. All right. Seven sons of Sceva, they got beat down, ripped all their clothes off and sent away broken and naked. Right? The enemy has real power and we're not supposed to go chasing after him like, you know, some reality television show that we want to find demons and 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 flaunt it. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're called to stand. So, the first point is that as Christians, we are in a battle. We are in a war. We should expect nothing less. And the second point is that we are unable to withstand the enemy's onslaught and schemes in our own strength. Now, let's go to the text here. <clears throat> Verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of of his might. We need to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. This means, guys, that our battle is more than we can bear. We can't fight against the enemy on our own. We can't defeat temptation and resist temptation on our own. It's too powerful. We are created weak. That means That this battle is beyond what we can handle and that we have to be strengthened from power, from God, from on high. Do you know that? Do you realize that? That there's two types of people in here. Number one, there's a type of people in here that you should know this well, that you are weak. You cannot even resist a cupcake in your own strength. Right? You walk by the kitchen counter and it's like, ooh. Right? Right? You know, we are weak in our own nature. We have to have help to fight the temptation. And for those of us in this room who actually do have self-control and you're kind of the older brother type and you live disciplined lives, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 12, he says this, Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. See, this is one of our enemy's greatest tricks is to allow someone to have a little bit of success in one area of their life. To kind of lull them to sleep, to get them proud and arrogant over um, achieving some kind of success in their life. They get proud and the enemy sneaks in and his hands around their throat and they fall. I, you know, you see this a lot. Oh, I don't struggle with that anymore. Oh, I used to struggle with that. But then, you know, I pulled myself up on my bootstraps and I started reading, you know, 17 minutes a day and praying for 36 minutes a day. And then, you know, I fasted one day a week and I did this and now I don't struggle with that anymore. Oh, you got, And then you, they, they, like these people like their moralistic. They like to dish out this little advice to people. Just do this and do that and do the other thing and then you'll get over that. Oh, I used to struggle with that. A week later, they fall back into it. Why? That's how the devil gets in through our pride. What happened? They got cocky. They thought they could stand in their own strength. They forgot that they needed to be strong in the Lord's power. And that comes from being close to Jesus and from believing the gospel. Not from being moralistic. Not from being self-righteous. Not from being self-disciplined. Two opposing Means to defeat temptation. We must be strengthened through God's grace. We must stand in the power of the gospel if we expect to be fruitful over the long term. See, I have no desire to plant um, this, uh, you know, the coolest, youngest, hippest little hipster church in the Quad Cities. That's not my desire. My desire is to plant a church for the glory of God that's going to be here for the long haul, that's going to be here generations to come, that my kids, that my grandkids can worship at. I want to plant... I, I honestly, my goal isn't even to plant a church. My goal is to plant the gospel in the Quad Cities. And as you plant the gospel, people and disciples are produced. And as disciples are produced, then churches just come up into existence. That's my desire. And listen, if we have this real enemy, if Satan is opposing us, this is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be slow. This is going to take every ounce of strength that we possess, and we're going to have to lean into God and be powered by his gospel every second to make this work. Guys, we could do a cool thing, We could do flashing lights and I just have Joel play everything on the radio and just rock out and play some cool Coldplay song when you walk in and let's have everybody smiling and do a big pep talk before the service so everybody walks out and they're greeting people in the parking lot and it just feels like, oh man, what is this, a grand opening of the movies or something? You know, we're giving out popcorn. We can draw people with that. And the enemy would go, go ahead and do that. The enemy doesn't care if we have a big event. The enemy doesn't care if we get a hundred thousand people in one room. He'll let us do that. The enemy opposes God. He opposes the gospel. If he can get Christians playing around with trivialities and getting, getting them sidetracked on political causes and getting them sidetracked on, on tertiary issues, if he can get Christians to do those things, he's won. We're people of the book. We're people of the gospel. That's what we're going to maintain. That's what we're going to be all about. And the only way we can do that is if we're strengthened with the power of his might. If we're strengthened in God. And this is a, man, it's a fine line between trying to stand in your own strength and being powered with with the, the strength from God. This one puffs you up. This one, when you defeat sin, when you overcome something, when you do something good, you get a big chest and you, you kind of get a swagger and you kind of start, you know what? I'm, I'm, a pretty, I'm a pretty good Christian. You start thinking things like, I think I might be the best Christian I know, actually. This is, that means you're standing in your own strength. And Paul says, take heed because you're going to fall. You're going to fall. And when you do fall, it's going to be crushing because all of your meaning, all of your purpose in life is placed in being a really good person. And then this one over here is completely opposite. This one says, I'm weak. I'm weaker than I know. I'm more frail than I know. I can succumb to temptation that fast. I have no strength in my own. Father, I need you to strengthen me. I need you to fill me with your gospel. I need you to help me see things clearly so I want the right things. This one takes all the power all the power out of the gospel and it puts all the power in my will. I have the strength to do whatever I want to do. I have the strength to overcome anything I want to and I, any opposition, I can do it because, and they like to quote, the, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but they really mean is I'm going to do everything in my own strength. I am that awesome. And this is the gospel that's being preached today, and I would say the majority of churches across our nation. You are that awesome. You can do anything. And we believe it. And I went, no, 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 brother, you can't do anything. You're weak in your own strength. <clears throat> so we need God's power if we're going to stay on God's mission here in the Quad Cities, if we're going to do this for the long term, if we're going to see men saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and then lead their families for the glory of God and then raise kids for the glory of God, and we're going to see mothers pour their life into their families and pour their life into whatever God's called them to do and, and worship Him above all things, of all, all the things that want to sidetrack us in our life, if we want to really see the gospel impact our city, we're going to need God's power to do it can't do it through methods. We can't do it through, you know, cool music and, 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 and just a big thing on Sunday. We have to do it by being, empowered by, God's, by, by being empowered by God's gospel. It's the only way that we can do it. Now, this is the part that trips me out, though. I think most of the time when we read this text, really, that's all we get. Oh, I can't do it. I need God's help. All right, I can do it. I got God's help. Let's do it. And we don't see this third part. And the third part is this. Not only should we expect a war, not only do we have to be strengthened from God to be able to withstand the enemy. Number three, we have to be armed for battle. We have to be armed for battle. If you've grown up in church, I apologize because as soon as we start talking about the armor of God, like literally, I was preaching through this and I'm like, I hate this text. I hate this text because immediately I go to when I'm in little, you know, I'm in I'm in Sunday school. And the kid walks in, he's got this plastic cheesy armor on from Christian bookstore, right? He's got the plastic visor that folds down and it's just completely cheesy. And, and you don't even remember anything about the armor. You just remember the kid looks goofy. We get this horrible visual in our mind, but we have no idea what this actually means, Right? If I say, you need, to be, you, need to be, you need to put on the armor of God, you say, yeah, that's right. Amen. That's, that's right. What does that mean? Does your mind? What you, does your mind go? Do you have anything practical? Do you have anything pragmatic? Do you have anything of substance that your mind goes to? And I started reading this, and I, asked, I was asking the Holy Spirit, like, give me fresh eyes to see this text, because all I hear are little cheesy kids' songs and plastic Jesus, Christian armor. All right? And I need, and, and it's completely different armor back then. It was Roman armor that they were talking about. And Paul is um, really trying to paint a picture for us that the battle that we are in, we need, and listen to this, we need good doctrine. Now, have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that from the armor of God? We need good doctrine. That's what Paul is talking about here. Listen, we live in a day and age where we expect everything to be easy. I get frustrated when someone doesn't respond to my text in 38 seconds. I have to make this decision right now. I started talking to one of my buddies, like, what would it have been like to live 100 years ago? What? Wait a month to receive a letter? How do you make decisions? We expect everything to be microwavable. We expect everything to be easy. Now listen, this, this just trips me out. This is hilarious for me. I can't, I can't even grasp it. Because once we start talking about God, listen to this. You mean you think getting to know, like, like personally getting to know the all-knowing, eternal, ever-present all-powerful, all-holy God should be easy? Really? You think that should be easy? Algebra is not easy. (laughs) Reading classic literature is not easy. And this God existed before all those things, and all those things came out of His creativity, came out of His goodness, Love's not easy. Throwing a baseball 90 mile an hour is not easy. Getting the weeds out of my yard's not easy. And we expect knowing God to be this easy thing that we just kind of float through and just, oh, I get it now. I mean, we need to check ourselves. We need to come at our beliefs and our thinking and our cultural assumptions with new eyes. Don't you think knowing the all-purposeful, all-knowing, all-holy... Oh, we don't even get that word. Holy. No darkness in Him. No failure in Him. Completely pure. Completely true. Don't you think knowing this God should take all of our capacities, every ounce of them and more... It should take all of our mind. We should have to focus like we do on an algebra text, right? Like we do on advanced calculus. We should have to focus and and be disciplined and pour all of our thinking into him. It should take all of our affections like it does with our wife when we have to pour our love and we got to get to know her and it's going to be a long-term thing. It takes every ounce of love that I got. Shouldn't it take more than that to know the God who created it? It's going to take every ounce of willpower that we have. And this laissez-faire attitude across the church and across our culture today that God is just, yeah, I kind of get him. Me, me Me and the big guy upstairs, we're tight. That's not how you know God. You can't know God in that way. Romans says you can kind of get like, like faint picture of him. Like if it's a dark room and somebody stands in the doorway and you just kind of see their silhouette, you can kind of tell it's a person, but you don't really know what it is. That's how we, that's, we, we see God in those ways when we look at the sunset, when we look at the sunrise, when we look at mountains, when we see bees and birds and all this stuff that we, we can kind of say, wow, there's a good God out there and he's a creator and he, he must be a God of order because everything works together. We can kind of feel our way towards him. But the only way to truly know God is through this word. Don't trust. We should not trust anything outside this word when it comes to God. Oh, I had a dream. Be careful. We call those cults. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, cults. Take the Bible, add something to it. Take the Bible, spin off and create their own little thing. Cults. Paul is telling us that if we want to stand when things get tough, when our sinful desires are burning hot and Satan's schemes are throwing gasoline on the fire, that we need to be armed with right beliefs. That's what doctrine is. Those of you who are like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to act like I don't understand what doctrine is. I'm just going to go with the flow here. Doctrine is right beliefs. It's the Christian teaching. We say historical Christian orthodox teaching. Orthodox means right. It's the right teaching. Good doctrine can save your skin and can save your soul. Paul is telling Timothy, his protege, uh, in 1 Timothy 4, he says this, make sure that you keep a close watch on yourself and on your doctrine. He says, by persisting in this, you will save yourself and your hearers also. God wants us to keep a close watch on ourself and our doctrine. Usually, beliefs all of our behavior flows out of our beliefs. So if we're believing something to be true, we will act in that way. And, we, and Satan can use that to get us off track, to get us away from the truth of the gospel, to get us away from right dr- doctrine. So I'm going I'm to give you this. I'm going to go through these a little bit. I'm not going to be able to talk as much as I'd like to talk to you about them. I am a long-winded dude. That's just what happens. Um, and, and we just like to spend as much time as possible in the scriptures. So this is what I'm going to challenge you to do. For those of you who, in, who study the Bible, I want you to, Paul's about to give us a list of good doctrine. He's about to give us a list of things that would be great for you to study in your personal time with the Lord. To do word studies, to, to do cross references and go back and forth and, and check this out. These are things that we should know about God. That will change our life. It will change our thinking. that will help us keep us on the right track. All right? So here we go. We're going to look, you can look up on verse 13, or actually verse 14. Stand therefore, first one, having fastened on the belt of truth, okay? Having fastened on the belt of truth. Our God is a God of truth, right? He cannot lie. One of my favorite uh, scenes, if you've ever seen the movie, I think it's Bruce Almighty. And Morgan Freeman is God, and Bruce Almighty's standing there, and he's like, Alright, you're God, prove it to me. Uh, how many fingers are behind my back? How many am I holding up behind my back? And he's like, two, four, and then, and then he's back here and he's doing all this stuff, and then God says, seven. And he goes, Ha 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 ha. And he's got seven fingers. All right? Why? Because if God speaks it, it happens. God cannot lie. Our enemy, though, he deals in lies. And our only defense against them is the truth. We must know the truth. Jesus says that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus is the truth. Jesus says in John 17, Father, sanctify them by your word, for your word is truth. The scriptures, this Bible is absolute truth. John tells us as well that Jesus came full of grace and truth. If you want the truth, you need the Jesus of the Bible, according to Jesus of the Bible. Jesus tells us what is true, and he says, it's me, it's the Father, it's my word, this is true. But Satan lies to us. This is, many of us think, well, a, a lie is a lie, true. But did you realize when you believe a lie, when you believe it, a lie is not true, but when you believe it, you give it power. Over you, when you believe a lie, you give it power over you, and it controls you. Let me give you an example. Um, have you ever seen on show, uh, television, or maybe you you know a person who struggled with uh, bulimia or anorexic or or, or they anorexic, and they they look incredibly skinny, way too skinny. But when they look in the mirror, they see they're overweight. They see they're fat, right? Satan, the enemy, is lying to them. He's telling them, You are not beautiful, you are not created in the image of God, you're overweight, you need to lose more weight. And what does that lie do to them? They believe that lie from the enemy, and it causes them to harm their body, it causes them to throw up their food, it causes them to not eat food. That believing that lie controls them. Same thing in a relationship. If you think your husband is cheating on you, it's going to control you. It's going to change you. You're going to act different around them. This is the way the enemy works in us. This is why it's so important to believe the truth, to know the truth. Many Christians today are They think they're worshiping Jesus. They think they're walking in the truth, but they've just slid off of right doctrine. They've slid a little bit away from the gospel and it's no longer about God and his glory. And now it's about me and my comfort and what I can get, what I can get God to do for me. And Paul's saying, that's the way the enemy works. He works with lies and we have to know good doctrine. So you could study truth. A great thing to study, study truth. What is truth? How do I know truth? How do I come to know the truth? this is another way that the enemy tries to trip us up. He lies to us. He says stuff like this. God's upset with you. God hates you. You can't be forgiven. You've done too much. You're too far gone. You're too broken. That's a lie. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the blood of Christ can cleanse us and cover us from all sin and all unrighteousness. The other thing he whispers to those in this room who are uh, the producers and kind of the the, the do-gooders, he says this, oh, God is really happy with you. Every time you do that good thing that you do for your neighbor, every time that you lay your life down for your wife, (sighs) God's like, I've never seen sacrifice like that. This guy gets it, man. This guy is on my A-team. These are lies. And the only way to find our way out of a lie is through knowing the truth. When God whispers, or when God, when Satan whispers, you're awesome we should whisper, no, I'm not. Everything good I do is done through Christ in me. I am desperately wicked in myself. I want to do good things to get pats on the back. That's wicked in itself. I don't want to do good things just because I'm so loved and accepted by the Father. Knowing the truth can set us free. Okay, second one. Having fastened on the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness is walking with God faithfully and in holiness. All right? Now, before you check out right there, listen. None of us in this room possess inherent holiness or inherent righteousness. The Bible says that all of our righteousness is a gift to us. Isaiah says that our righteousness or our good deeds by themselves even the ones that we're really proud of, those good deeds are like filthy rags. Those good deeds are ruined through and through with wickedness and sin. But Christ's righteousness, now listen, this is the great exchange. This is one of the amazing truths that we need to study if we're going to study good doctrine. That Christ's righteousness, when we repent of our sins and we come to faith in Him, that Christ's righteousness, look at this, Christ's righteousness, His report card, His life Is placed on us like a breastplate of righteousness. That means when I'm standing against the enemy, I'm standing clothed in the righteousness of God, not in my own righteousness. It's amazing. Christ's perfect record, the the fact that he never sinned, that he obeyed God perfectly from the foundations of the world, that has been laid upon me and covers me. That is my covering. So when Satan tries to lie and Satan tries to attack and Satan tries to say, you're not good enough, I say, you're right, I'm not good enough, but I have the righteousness of Christ. Reminds us. Of the gospel. And in that, we take God's empowering grace, we take God's righteousness, and we walk in the righteousness that He has gifted to us. That's holiness. It's saying no to sin and yes to Christ by grace. It's walking faithfully when there's an opportunity to walk unfaithfully, resisting sin when sin is strong because I'm standing in the righteousness of Christ. And then by you know, by deduction, what he says is if we don't understand the righteousness of Christ, then we're completely exposed. If we're standing in our own strength, in our own righteousness, our heart is exposed. Satan can attack us. Satan can defeat us. Satan can get us caught up and get us tripped up because what's covering one of our most vital organs is broken. It's our own righteousness and not the right, not the perfect righteousness of Christ. Let's keep going. Uh, and 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, this is kind of a difficult one. You got to know a little bit about Roman armor. Basically, they they all wore sandals and this, these, these are like cleated, cleated sandals that strapped around their feet and wrapped up their legs. All right. And Paul's saying this, The whole point of the armor of God is so that we can stand, right? To be able to stand firm. And if the enemy's pressuring against us, against all of our armor, if he's against us, if we don't have sure footing, we can fail. And I love it. He says, your sure footing is found in the gospel of peace. In the gospel of peace. Now, immediately my mind goes to back earlier in Ephesians 2 and 3 where Paul is talking about that our peace is Jesus Christ. That he has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between us and God. That we're born into the world. Listen to this. If you are outside of Christ, you are not a son of God. You are an enemy of God. If you have not accepted the righteousness of Christ, you are an enemy of God. Of God. And first and foremost, God is our enemy before we come to Christ, before we come to faith in Christ. But by believing the gospel that Jesus Christ died the death that we all deserve, and He destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, and He made what used to be our enemy, now He's our Father. That God gave His only Son to adopt and to save His enemies. And what was, once was our enemy now becomes our loving and gracious father that the warfare between us has ended because Christ took the punishment for us. That God laid his warfare and laid his punishment on Christ and Christ stood in the gap and took that for us. And now we can remember through Romans, if God be for us, who can be against us? See, in the, in the throes of sin, when you're being tempted to cheat at work, when you're being tempted to cheat on your wife, when you're being tempted to be lazy, or whatever it is, however, God, however Satan sneaks in to tempt you specifically, when you're being tempted to do those things, Satan is warring, we are in a battle, but we need to remember our ultimate victory has already been won. We once were enemies of God, but now we're at peace through His Son. So our shoes give us the ability to dig our feet in and to stand against the enemy and say, you know what? I have been freed from sin. The the warfare of God that was against me, the wrath of God that was coming against me has been turned away from Jesus Christ. And if that's been turned away, then I can stand strong in the gospel. I can stand strong in his love, in in his acceptance during this battle. It allows us to dig our feet in, remembering the gospel of peace. It also gives us, you know, a lot of commentators were saying it gives you quick feet on the battle. So if you need a sidestep, it gives us quick feet to be able to proclaim the gospel. Being armed with this armor, it should produce in us a quickness to share the gospel in our workplace, in our homes, with our neighbors. And we need to be quick to preach the gospel to ourselves as well. We feel the attack of the enemy. We're reminding ourselves of the gospel of peace. All right, keep going. The shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, this is kind of cool. Back in the day, they had wooden shields. All right? And these wooden shields, right before they went to battle, they would dip them in water, they would soak them in water, they would get super heavy, but they would be soaked in water so that flaming dart, right, that would just turn that shield to kinlen, That that flaming dart would be extinguished by the water that's in the shield. And all this is saying is that faith... <clears throat> faith is what's going to extinguish the fiery darts of Satan. So you just just start thinking about that. Things are going to happen where the only thing we have to hold on to is our faith. In our life right now, things can come against us and I'll be pressed by this circumstance. I'll be pressed. The only way I can respond to this is through faith. And this is, guys, listen, this is the, the subtle pull of legalism over into moralism, where if I don't have the shield of faith, something bad comes into my life, and this is what I think. I either think that either I think one thing, oh, I must be sinning. I must be sinning, and God's not happy with me, so God's punish me, punishing me by making me sick or making this come into my life. God's punishing me. Or two, something bad comes into my life. God's not good. God's not really a good God because he's sending something bad into my life. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You've been given the shield of faith to distinguish those flaming darts from the evil one. When Satan shoots something at you and he wants to bring an accusation against you, it's going to take faith to stand against it. You're going to literally have to say to yourself, these things are going to happen. That I know that God is sovereign. I know that he is ultimate. I know that he is in control. And I don't understand what's going on in my life right now. I don't understand the chaos. I don't understand the pain. I don't understand what's happening in my life. But I choose to trust him by grace. That's faith. We trust God's word until it's all done. And then he proves himself to be right. That's faith. We trust God's word Until it's all said and done. And then he proves himself to be right. Lastly, before you'd go into battle, the last two things you would grab, you would have your whole garb on, you would grab your helmet. You'd put your helmet on. The helmet of salvation. Satan deals in lies and confusion. If he can darken our understanding and confuse us, then he can defeat us. But when God saves us, he literally recreates us through regeneration and he gives us the mind of Christ. I want to read this scripture to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16. Listen to this, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Look, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul does this... Paul reminds us that before we go into battle, we need to put on the helmet of salvation. And that's reminding us that God, through regeneration, when we've came to him and we've repented of our sin and we trust in Christ through faith, he gives us a whole new nature. Now, all of a sudden, what once was, you know, blah, 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 blah from the preacher, all of a sudden we're getting it. What once was just words on a page in scripture is now jumping off the page and gripping us. That God changes the way we think. God changes our affections. He makes us into what he calls spiritual people. And those spiritual people need to take the helmet of salvation, the salvation that I am saved by grace, by trusting faith in Christ. And I need to remind myself that often. Now, have you guys, you guys have probably seen Saving Private Ryan. If you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan, that opening sequence, right? The opening scene is probably the most violent, one of the most violent, gory scenes I've ever seen in any movie. But the guys, they get off the boat, right? The, the, the boat folds down, they charge the beach, and what happens? Dudes are just taking bullets in the dome, left and right. It's really bad. I mean, stuff going everywhere, They're just falling all over the place. They're bleeding out. They're dying. And the message is what? They're just, Tom Hanks is yelling. Everybody's yelling. Get down. Get your head down. Keep your head down. Why? One shot, one kill. Right? Our mind, so much of the battle, so much of our warfare, so much of our fighting and struggling against Satan is done in our mind. And we got to put a helmet on we got to put the helmet of salvation. So much of this is just preaching the gospel to ourselves, reminding us day in and day out, I have the mind of Christ, that I have the righteousness of Christ. Right? Just going over this and preaching it to ourselves. If you don't have Christ, you're running around in a battle with no helmet on. Your enemy's got free shot after free shot after free shot, and there's no, dis- no defense and no hope for you. You need Christ. You need Christ desperately. We all need Christ desperately. Without Jesus, we're dead. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul's saying here. Hell is real. Hell exists. Satan is real. Satan exists. Demons are real. Demons exist. Death is real. Death exists. And if you're walking around with your head up and no helmet on, you're you're as good as dead too. That's how real he's talking. And he closes the whole thing off. That's all, all that weapon, all that armor that he asks us to put on are all defensive weapons. And he gives us two offensive weapons. We're going to talk about one this week. We're going to talk about the next one next week. One is the word of God. The second, which is the sword of the spirit. The second one is prayer. And we're going to talk about prayer next week. We're going to spend the whole week talking about what is praying. What is he talking about praying in the spirit? And we're going to go over that um, in our service next week. So the, the sword of the spirit, let's look at that right there. Take the helmet of salvation, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Did you see that? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, there's this thing going around in churches today that preachers need to preach less and just let the spirit of God take over. No, no, no. The Spirit of God inspired these words. The Spirit of God applies the work of salvation to souls through the preaching of this Word. In John 1, Jesus says Himself that He is the Word and that He is and the Word is the light of men. That the Word of God is our weapon against the enemy. It's one of the only offensive weapons we've been given. When Satan comes against Jesus in the wilderness, Satan does what Satan does beautifully is he twists scripture. He takes a little bit of scripture and he twists it. And he tries to tempt Jesus to do things in a sinful way. I was talking to a buddy this week who he's being pressured by a quote-unquote Christian organization to basically, if I just had to cut through it, to sacrifice his family to be more successful in business because their end result is making people healthy, which God gets glory in. So they're basically saying, work harder, do more, spend less time with your family because you're going you're gonna to get a good result in making people healthy. And if you don't make people healthy, who are you going to say, you know what, I don't really care about you, uh, I'll just let you be sick. Right They're using guilt to manipulate, and, and I was talking to him in his office, and I looked at him, and I said, "You know what? That is a good thing to, to make people healthy, to, to teach people how to be healthy and te- teach people how to live healthy lives, but God calls us to do His work in His way. The end never justifies the means. We can build big churches without preaching the unadulterated word of God. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. It's scary. To me, it's scary. Dancing around and waving flags for Jesus won't scare off the enemy. The word of God will. Saying... 200 Hail Marys won't help you out of the temptation you're in. The word of God will. You can read every book on the planet about marriage and your marriage can still be falling apart. What you need is grace and truth found in scripture. That's what you need. That's your sword. That's your offensive weapon. That's what helps you keep back the enemy. Knowing the Word of God, knowing good doctrine. see, I got nothing new for you this morning. I know it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Moms. the Word of God, right? We're we are in a fight, we're in a battle. I know it's not anything. you know, wow, this is really exciting. It was a rallying cry, and I never you know, no, we're in a war. Moms, you should know it better than anybody. It's a battle to keep your kids from doing a header off the steps every day. Right? It's a ba- it was a battle getting them here this morning. It was a battle getting them dressed and their hair combed and fed without the food being all over them, getting them down there. Oh, life is a battle. Our life is a war. I got nothing new. Sacred City Church, man, we want to see the city renewed for the glory of God. That's what we want to see. We don't just want a bigger, better church. We want a bigger, better city. We want to see disciples made who then go out and make more disciples, teaching them the works and the ways of Jesus. That's what we want to see. And that means if we're going to do that, it's going to be war, and we have to be armed for battle. We have to know truth. We have to know what does righteousness mean? We have to know what is the gospel of peace and how does it affect my life? What is the helmet of salvation? How does God save me? What was the plan of salvation? What was the order of salvation? What was he doing in, in Genesis and pointing to Revelation? What's going on through this thing? We've got to know this stuff. It's armor for our souls. And it all comes through the word of God. It's the only way to know it. We need to know right doctrine. We need to be saturated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to know our swords. And listen, I want you to hear these things. These things go hand in hand. Grace and truth. I'm not saying we want to be Bible answer man. And we want to be the guy that's all truth and no grace. I want a, we should have a whimsical holiness. A gracious backbone. We don't just float through the current of the stream and we don't stand on the corner and pick at everything and freak out over everything the president says. We don't do those things. We have a whimsical holiness. We have grace and truth. We have radical truth and radical humility all in one that can only be produced by the gospel. Um, In Lord of the Rings, the second one, the Two Towers, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is when Gandalf goes, if you've seen it, Gandalf goes to, I think it's Lord Theoden, and he's been put under a spell by the enemy. He's been put under a spell by the enemy. And, and first off, Gandalf says, I'm going to draw you Saruman, which is the enemy, like like uh, poison from a wound. And, and, from a wound. and he, he does this, and the king comes to. The king comes out of this stupor. He's been under the darkening fog of the enemy his whole life, or for a long time. And he's been under the spell of the enemy for a long time. And he comes to, right? And he's really weak and he's really gray and he's really old. And, And Gandalf's got this line that I just, I love. And he says this, your fingers would remember their old strength again if they gripped the hilt of your sword. Your fingers would remember their old strength again if they gripped the hilt of your sword. And I love that because I think so many of us, we've been walking around in a fog caused by the enemy. We've been walking around weak. We've been, we've been open to the attacks of the enemy because we didn't know doctrine. We just came into church and we sing some songs and we read some fluffy books and read, think about fairy tales and think God's just floating around. In a, we have no idea what the Bible really teaches And I I would just echo, your fingers would know their strength again if you gripped the hilt of your sword more often. Pick up the word of God. It's so amazing. There's so much depth to it. If you think you know it, take heed lest you fall because there's more to be discovered and more to be found in this. This is no ordinary book. This book is alive. God has put himself inside. He has disclosed himself. The eternal God has disclosed himself in time. He's made us aware of who he is, of what he likes, of of how he built the earth, and how he built us, and how he ordered salvation. He's done this thing for us, for his glory, for our good. This book holds the greatest story ever told. That every good story, every fictional story, every book that you read that you really love, and every movie that you watch that you really love, the reason you like them is because they're pulling something true out of the true story of God. Redemption. Oh, everybody like, we love the Marvel characters, right? We love the new movie that's out right now, The Avengers. Everybody went out to see it. Wow, that's a really new story. Humanity's about to be destroyed. Somebody that's kind of part human, part God-like thing, saves humanity from ultimate destruction. Hmm, that sounds familiar, right? The only way to save humanity is if God sends a God down. Wow, that sounds familiar. God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come in and become one of us to save us. But he didn't save us through his all-powerful strength. He saved us through his weakness. He saved us by dying the death that we deserved by taking the wrath of God for us on our behalf. And now that same Jesus Christ, through his word, gives us armor to protect us from our enemy, gives us a sword to push back the enemy and gives us a spirit inside of us to desire him, to crave him, to know him, to be led into more and more truth. You find the one true God in this book. You find that He is after you, that He came after you when you wanted nothing to do with Him. He's pursuing you with His love. It's not like the other gods that say, come do something for me. Come up and serve me. He's a God who's came down and He served Himself. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin." And God chose you and made you alive. You were his enemy. He made you his sons and daughters. Will you respond to him today? Will you stop running? Will you take a stand against our enemy, Satan? Will you partner with us in the mission of God to renew all of creation and to make disciples who make disciples in the quad cities? It's what God's calling you to. It's what God's asking of you today. Receive his son. Receive salvation. I'm gonna pray. Father, I thank you for your work. I thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to read it, to understand it, to dig into it. Um, We just skim the surface of all these topics and all this doctrine. and I pray that you would uh, cause us to desire to know these things in in a deeper way in a way that's not just in our head, but in a way that moves our heart and moves in our affections. I pray that we would see you, the creator of all these things, the author of all these things. We would be in awe over you. We'd be inspired to love you. Father, as we come this morning to take part in the Lord's Supper, I, I'm reminded that you didn't just give us doctrine. Doctrine is good. Doctrine is right but you didn't just give us doctrine. You gave us something to taste. You gave us your body and your blood, which was broken and shed for us, for our sins. And before we come to the table today, I pray that we would repent, repent of the ways that we've walked in our own strength, that we try to stand against the enemy in our own strength. We repent of the ways we've just tried to be moral, moralistic and just be good people. Instead of being gospel people. And I pray that our heart would be moved to love you more today, to rejoice in you more today, to give glory to you more today. It's a work of your spirit and a work of your grace. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.